ATX Next, presented by the Austin Business Journal. Exploring the future of Austin and the challenges we face. Brought to you by the business litigation law firm of Kane and Scarnulus. And by Trim Built Construction, building Austin since 1984. I'm Will Anderson, Managing Editor of the Austin Business Journal. Today we're starting a year-long series, ATX Next, examining the state of Austin and what it means to live and do business in the fastest growing large city in the United States. The Austin metro population grew 34% from 2010 to 2020. It led the country in population growth each year that decade among large metros. All signs point to that growth continuing. That growth is at the heart of this series, ATX Next. As Austin matures into truly one of the largest cities in the United States, we're having to deal with big city problems. Housing affordability, traffic congestion, quality of life, diversity and inclusion, all of these are top of mind for business and civic leaders. It's fair to say that affordability reigns supreme atop that list. Austin Mayor Steve Adler has called it an existential crisis and housing affordability affects everything. Think about our self-described moniker as the live music capital of the world. Does that really ring true if musicians can't afford to live in the city of Austin? It impacts public safety and education because teachers, firefighters, police officers all need a place to live. And the statistics around this issue are truly sobering. I'm gonna bring on reporter Catherine Hardison, who's been closely studying this issue for ABJ. We're gonna talk a little bit about those statistics, about what housing affordability means in Austin, and really take a macro view at this topic so we can kind of set the ground rules for what we're discussing for the coming weeks and months. Catherine, welcome. Hi, Will, thanks for having me. So I figured we could start out just by pointing to what are the issues here? What are we talking about with the state of housing supply in Austin? And why is affordability such a big concern for city and business leaders? So people are moving to the Austin metro in droves, and there's not enough housing at different levels of affordability for everyone moving here. That pushes up prices. But developers also say that they're hamstrung when it comes to actually creating housing at different levels of affordability because of a host of different factors. Some of that is policy related. Some of that is the increase of costs of construction right now uh, and the increase of land prices. So it all comes together to make housing in the area unaffordable to most people. Yeah, you speak to it being a confluence of factors, which is really kind of the maddening part because it's a very complex issue. It's the land prices that these developers pay to acquire the lots that they will then build on. It's the different land development codes in, in Austin and then surrounding cities that can add to the cost and time of projects. It's also the intense population growth and just the need for more market rate houses and apartments. But then there are, of course, people at lower income brackets that can't even dream of a market rate house or apartment in Austin these days. In discussing with the, you know, you've met and spoken to a lot of different people involved in uh, in this issue. Has anyone talked about what might need to change to make Austin housing more affordable? Yes. So when you talk to developers, they are very focused on getting a new land development code out of the city that can add more density uh, across the city, which some say can lead to 
more uh, housing at more affordable rates, not necessarily true affordable housing. But others in the area say that supply doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be better rates in the market. So some people think that it really just comes down to policy from the city to make sure that we actually have truly affordable housing in the area. But we've yet to see what that might look like from city council. Yeah, we kind of talk about two things with housing affordability in the ABJ newsroom. There is a supply need just for the intense amount of people moving here. But then there's just more truly affordable housing. So you're not pricing out people like artists who might not have quite you know a steady paycheck or might earn well below that median family income level. On that really affordable housing that we talk about, what are some of the options that have been discussed for increasing the amount of housing for people you know at that lower income level? Council has a few different ideas that they are looking at right now, and that includes uh, creating more density along transit corridors uh, and dedicating a certain amount of a developer's project to a percentage of the median family income. And the median family income in the Travis County area last year was about $98,900. And so There is a desire to require developers to include a certain percentage of their uh, projects to be dedicated towards lower income users, though it will be a small percentage of the overall units in the project. Say there's a 500 unit development and in order to get an entitlement from the city, they're required to put in say 10% of those units at different rates to address a smaller, um, lower percentages of the median family income. You brought up median family income. I was slightly surprised to see that, yeah, it's about 98,000 or really almost $99,000 for, for a family of four. Correct. And that's set as kind of at the government level of what um, we're talking about affordability standards. And that actually increased significantly in the past decade, up about 32 percent, according to your reporting, right? It did. And, you know, a another factor to consider is the uh, people that are moving here for different jobs, but also the people who are moving here with more disposable incomes from areas like Silicon Valley or the New York area. That uh, has been a factor in pushing up the median family income as well. Sure. So 32% growth in in MFI and median family income might belie a little bit of that um, people moving into the area who might still have West Coast or East Coast uh, salaries. But 32% growth in median family income is significant over a decade. Then I also saw in your reporting that well, median family income has increased, but the median home price in the Austin Round Rock MSA has gone up 130% in the past decade. Right. So I think that that really shows uh, the crux of the affordability issue, right? The people who are living here can't afford to keep up with the direction that the housing market is going right now. And so that does push people outside the city of Austin into the suburbs. Um, And I would also point out that Austin is a very large renter market. And during the same amount of time, rent increased about 75% as well. So it's not just the home prices that are going up. It's also the cost of rent as well. City of Austin is a majority renter city in city limits, I think, right? It is. Yes. Yeah. That affects how many people are living in the city of Austin. The latest estimate I saw from the city was that about 55% of the population of the city of Austin were renters. So a great deal of people uh, are impacted by these rising prices. Does anyone point to those prices uh, moderating 
a decrease in the cost of living or this series, the reason it came to us is because these issues have been simmering, you know, for a while. We we know Austin has become less affordable. The population is booming, but um, it's grabbed public consciousness and the attention of policymakers pretty significantly. Yeah, these issues are not going to go away, not anytime soon. And really, a lot of people that I've talked to uh, in the industry and at the city level are saying that we need to take a look at this issue now before this really continues to spiral and we reach some of these housing crises that we see in much larger cities like a Silicon Valley area. We're at a point where we can change course is what a lot of people on the city council have told me. And so now it's just about figuring out how we're going to navigate the political minefield of housing affordability and addressing a very outdated, very old land development code that doesn't necessarily support broad density across the city. Yeah, I think the LDC, so for for non-city hall insiders, the land development code uh, is brought up by every developer and you'll see it on Twitter and Facebook and urbanist discussions that the land development code has to change uh, in the city of Austin if we truly want to unlock affordability. Is that a consensus or a widespread opinion in, in your reporting? No, I would say most developers uh, agree with that. There are some members of council that think Increased entitlements is not the answer to uh, increased housing supply and increased affordability. There's also a concern of, you know, tall towers rising around existing neighborhoods. And so um, the concern there really is threatening a quality of life that has been there for a while. And so I would say no. Some people don't think that the zoning code is a true panacea for our affordability issues, but some people do. So that's really where there is tension when it comes to, you know, trying to figure out how to move the ball forward. It does show how it then goes on to affect everything from traffic and congestion to sprawl, right? Density mm-hmm. is going to affect how many people can live along certain corridors, how far you have to drive to reach your job, all considerations that I think spawn from the affordability question. And uh, it's a fair point that there is disagreement on exactly how we get there. Great. Thank you so much, Catherine. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. And next, we're going to hear from ABJ residential real estate reporter, Michelle Fitcher. She spoke with Phyllis Snodgrass. As CEO of Austin Habitat for Humanity, Phyllis Snodgrass is leading an organization that is tackling affordability at the ground level. But the very definition of affordable housing is changing in this current environment of hypergrowth. So to start off, Phyllis, how long have you been with Habitat for Humanity? I started just a little bit over six years ago, uh, back in November 2015. And y'all are one of the most well-known affordable housing groups in the U.S., particularly for your uh, single-family home builds. But what else does Habitat do to bolster affordability that we might not be aware of? Well, Habitat for Humanity is an international organization that works on housing stability and affordability around the world. A portion of what we do here supports work that's done in countries all around the world where housing is a a real issue and honestly where the dollars that we're able to contribute go a lot farther than than they would ever manage to uh, go here. In addition to that, there are Habitat affiliates across the U.S., both large and small, just tackling 
affordable home ownership on a variety of fronts. And it's a great network to collaborate with, honestly. We all just have to do things just a little bit different, but we're able to share best practices and resources and learn from each other. That sounds like a great network to have when you're tackling one of these big issues. And that actually gets to one of the main things I wanted to talk to you about today. So if you wouldn't mind explaining to me a bit how Habitat defines affordability. Habitat defines affordability along federal guidelines, which is the same thing our city talks about when it talks about affordability. And when you get in affordability circles, you'll hear the terms big A affordability and little a affordability. A lot of times when the community talks about things that have become so unaffordable, they're talking about little a affordability, which is just how the expenses are impacting their pocketbook and how their dollars are stretched and how it just costs more to find a place to live or rent. But big A affordability is defined as people that are making median family income and can't buy homes. So what does that mean in the greater Austin area? We center affordability around median family income. And Habitat for Humanity serves families, people that are earning up to 80% of the median family income. Median family income in the Austin area for a family of four is 98900 Habitat for Humanity typically serves families making up to, uh, with a family of four, making up to 79100 So we are uh, serving right under that 100% median family income range. For a household size of one, that's 55400 uh, That's a lot higher than most people think Habitat for Humanity serves. Traditionally, Habitat served a much lower income range, but it has become harder and harder for just working people in this community to afford housing. And housing has also gotten more expensive to produce. And as a result, we have been increasing the levels that we serve in order to really meet the needs of the marketplace. So that brings up a wonderful point, Phyllis, and I'm going to throw a few numbers at you. So in Austin, as you're well aware, we've got that dearth of housing at all affordability levels. And so in 2018, the city adopted its own goals, setting a goalpost of 135,000 new housing units in 10 years. So about 15% of those were for people making less than 30% of the median family income, which you mentioned. But almost half of the units they plan to build were to be affordable for people making 121% or more. So obviously, affordable means something different depending on who you're talking to, which you brought up a really good point about the affordability of the greater market. So when we're talking about making affordable housing, are we talking about just building units that someone who makes 80% of the MFI can build or can buy? Or is it more important to focus on the big picture to make sure that there's housing available at all price points to sort of like hit all levels of the market, like you mentioned. So can I say all of the above? (laughs) We are strong advocates for we need more housing at all levels for all people, regardless of who's building it, regardless if it's rental or ownership. Austin Habitat for Humanity is a strong advocate for housing, period, and uh, against policies that prohibit housing from getting built 
a lot of good intentions have gotten in the way of good housing policy and have prevented more housing from getting built in this marketplace. And you just pile that on year after year, and it really has restricted supply in an area with really high demand and more and more people moving here. More demand on any level of housing pushes housing availability down because people are coming into neighborhoods that are less expensive buying the homes so they can either refurbish them or or tear them down and build their own. And so the lack of housing at all levels directly impacts those at the most unaffordable levels, accelerates gentrification and creates problems in the housing market. So while we need help and subsidy sometimes to make the really affordable units happen, we need more housing overall and we will continue to be advocates for that. ATX Next is presented by the business litigation law firm of Kane and Scarnulis PLLC, handling high profile, high stakes, and mission critical matters for you and your business. Learn more at CSTrial.com and by Trim Built Construction, building Austin since 1984. Visit us at TrimBuilt.com or Call 512-689-7881. Let's start the conversation about your project. So I wanted to ask you another question about these definitions. So as you mentioned, the Austin area and Habitat both use this median family income model. But I'm curious about other metrics, like I'm sure you're aware of the concept of being housing burdened. So that's if you're paying more than 30% of your income on housing, you're considered housing burdened. So are ideas like this compatible with our current definitions of affordability? Are they better or worse in any way? Is there a way, I guess, I'm asking to refine the way that we talk about affordability that would be more helpful? So housing burdened is a term Habitat has used for years. It's actually one of the criteria we use in evaluating whether someone is a candidate for an affordable housing program. Because affordable housing requires subsidy at some level because you're producing a house at a certain cost and you're delivering it to someone at a different cost, we do need to make sure that we are providing it to people who truly have need. And we serve people that are paying often up to 50% of their income on housing. It's definitely over the the 30 3, 35% range. Uh, and we're trying to get that down into a healthier range so that they can actually save up money, live comfortably, live a healthy life in a safe, decent, affordable home. We, and I think really pretty much anyone in the affordable housing market does look at housing burden. It's part of the total calculation for how we income qualify families. When you get outside of that affordability range, it is inherently an issue and it affects people, it doesn't become a requirement because there's no like federal or state or any other rules for housing that's provided above that 80%. We are moving into a space, though, where Habitat is actually going to be producing some of the first homes that we've ever produced above 80% median family income. We have seven homes we're building um, in the next couple of years uh, in a partnership with Taylor Morrison that are going to be provided at up to 110% median family income. Um, There's just such a huge need. It's a marketplace that's not being covered in our community. We're 
the median family home is over 500,000. And we've, you know, we've even talked to Habitat International about it. They're totally on board. They understand that in some marketplaces, that is very unaffordable. And I think that gets to the heart of one of the holes in talking about median family income is in a place like Austin, where housing prices are rising much faster than incomes. So I'm glad you raised that point. And that's a really interesting update for the way that y'all are addressing the affordability crisis here in Austin. And I wanted to ask you if you wouldn't mind sharing a story or an example or two about some of the folks that you've worked with here in Austin to sort of take us out of this academic level and onto the ground to see who is being affected by the affordability crisis here in Austin. Absolutely. We have served and continue to serve such a variety of clients throughout Austin. I recently did an update on a presentation to the board of some of the places where our clients work. And we have families working at state agencies, you know, at local hospitals, at at our universities, at our school district, at our city, major companies throughout this community. The list is just shocking in some ways because I think people assume that those that need affordable housing are destitute, and that is definitely not the case. Uh, We are just in community at a time where affordable housing just isn't happening and without programs that provide subsidy and, and enable people to get into homeownership, it just doesn't happen at all. We have served in the past year, we had a, a, a gentleman and his wife and family that uh, he does graphics work at home for like film studios. Does it make enough to buy a house in Austin? We served a uh, a young lady that runs a hair salon. We served someone that works in construction. We served through our home-based program, which is a program where we don't build the home, but we partner with builders and developers who build the homes, and we bring in the families. And so really, we doubled our production through that program because we're helping enable more affordable housing to get built to the marketplace and provide the income qualification services We've served musicians. We've served folks that work in restaurants and hotels at our, like they said, our local hospitals, at our schools, at the University of Texas and other universities in the region. So it is widespread. There are people that you just would, you would be surprised to see that are in affordable housing. We've got a school teacher that won one of the top teacher awards in the district a couple of years ago in one of our homes. And so and we are serving a hardworking marketplace that desperately needs affordable housing, and we just can't produce it fast enough. So obviously, there is a huge demand for affordable housing, a huge need, and it spans, sounds like, almost the entirety of Austin. So you've been deeply entrenched in this work for years now. And I'm curious, is there a silver bullet or is there anything that we're seeing right now? So like tiny homes or, you know, modular housing, these sort of innovations that are going on. Is there anything that you think needs to happen in order to make affordability less of a moving target here in Austin and more an attainable goal? 
While I appreciate the spirit that comes along with some of the new and innovative ideas like 3D printing and affordable housing, those don't address the root cause of affordability. Our building codes are, and I'm not saying we should decrease the quality of the homes we're building, but our compatibility rules, our land use restrictions, we regulate affordable housing out of our community. And as long as we are are doing that, as long as we are, are driving more housing from being built, you're driving up the cost of land. And as you drive up the cost of land, that's such a huge part of the housing equation. And, you know, there's less land in the community to build on. You can't find a lot in Austin to build on. You've, you've got to put more housing on less land, and we restrict that in this community greatly. Even things like 3D printing and modular housing, if they actually could solve the problem, the regulations prevent them from happening within the city limits anyway on any scalable level. So we regulate housing out of this community. Well, Phyllis, I really appreciate your time here today. And I just wanted to thank you for your insight. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, Michelle, and everyone at the ABJ. ATX Next, exploring the future of Austin and the challenges we face. Presented by the Austin Business Journal and brought to you by the business litigation law firm of Kane and Scarnulis, and by Trim Built Construction, building Austin since 1984.